This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And we're going to continue to talk about prayer today. We're going to continue to look at the idea that you and I, through Jesus Christ, you and I are able to communicate directly with God. If that doesn't just blow you away, then there's something wrong. The idea that we can talk to the living God at any time, in any place, for however long we want to. And that yes, He does hear us. I mean, let's face it, we all get frustrated when we call somebody on our telephones and we get shoved to voicemail. I don't think God has ever pushed me to voicemail, okay? I can go directly to Him. And we call that prayer. And prayer is simply communication with God. Prayer is just talking with Him, person to person. But oftentimes, prayer gets confused. And understand this, it's not God that confuses prayer. It's we who confuse prayer. Because we think prayer is something that it really isn't. And and oftentimes, we do it because we want a virtue signal to those around us. We'll pray in King James English. I find that amazing. People pray in King James English as though that's the language of heaven. Or oftentimes we'll pray lengthy prayers in public because it makes us look good. When oftentimes, sometimes the sweetest prayers can be the shortest, most desperate prayers. So this morning we're going to look at the anatomy of a prayer. Again, prayer doesn't need to be confusing. Prayer is simply respectfully, lovingly, longingly communicating with our Heavenly Father. And we need prayer to be a focal in our lives. Chuck Swindoll, the pastor and Bible teacher, one time president of Dallas Theological Seminary, said this. He says, choose to view life through God's eyes. See, this is a choice we must make, and prayer is going to benefit us on that choice. Look what he says. He says, choose to view life through God's eyes. This will not be easy because it doesn't come naturally to us. We cannot do this on our own. We have to allow God to elevate our vantage point. Start by reading His Word. That's where we get wisdom, truth, faith. Start by reading His Word, which is the Bible. And notice what he says next. He said, pray and ask God to transform your thinking. Pray and ask God to transform your thinking. Let Him do what you cannot do. Ask Him to give you an eternal and divine perspective. See, oftentimes we think of prayer as changing God's mind or asking God for things that we want. And prayer does involve petition. Prayer does involve seeking the will of God. But prayer also should change our viewpoint, our vantage point. And prayer should be a conduit through which God can change us and place our vision on that vantage point. 
Without prayer, we stumble along through life. Without prayer, we bounce from one problem to another. We move from one situation to another. We live frustrating, disillusioned, depressed lives because our vantage point is earthly and temporal rather than heavenly. And prayer can do that. Prayer needs to do that. It needs to lift our focus off of us, off of our circumstances, and upon God. And more often than not, though, we make prayer hard. We have to pray formulas and we have to do this and that and so forth. And there are books, shelves and shelves and shelves of books written over the last 2,000 years about how to pray, what to pray, when to pray, who should pray. But Jesus gave us a simple way to pray. As a matter of fact, he lays it out in Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to look this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and this is probably one of the most familiar passages in, in the Scriptures, not only to the church, but also to those outside the church. We call this the Lord's Prayer. And more often than not, we say this prayer almost like a good luck charm. I remember when I was in high school, not too long after I got saved. As a matter of fact, we were driving to our youth group that Thursday night, and we had some friends from high school who joined us. We invited them to come with us. And I was sitting in the back seat of my buddy's car with a couple of people, and uh, as we were driving to the youth group, we came upon an accident. Oh, and it was an awful accident. They must have hit really hard. Car parts were scattered. Two ambulances were present. We had to be diverted to another way. It was very difficult. And I remember the young lady sitting next to me who was, who was invited out. We were hoping she was going to get to hear the gospel and so forth. We were planning to present that to her. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, she began to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I, and I began to listen to her. I thought, what in the world are you doing? And she said, I'm just praying that God would bless those in the accident. And my thought was, when in that prayer did you mention the accident? When in the prayer did you seek God's face for those people? Now, I didn't say that deridingly, and I probably didn't even say that out loud. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? You think things and think you say them out loud? Sometimes you think them and say them out loud and you're in trouble. Okay. We say a lot of stuff out loud too often. But I remember, what are you doing? And, 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 and we talked with her a little bit gently because she was new and, and we didn't want to beat up on her. We found out later, though, she was a Christian. And she had known Jesus as her Savior. And she had been involved in a church. And yet she still used this prayer as a sort of magic formula or a good luck charm or some sort of talisman. And I'm amazed after that incident, I, I realized there are so many people, not only Christians, but unbelievers who know the Lord's prayer. They have it memorized and that's great, but they often use it as some sort of good luck charm. Or if you remember back in the old comics, the real Captain Marvel, not the new one, okay, but the one who would say Shazam and become a superhero. No, Gomer Pyle didn't invent that word. That's where he got it. This little boy named Billy would say, Shazam, and lightning would strike, and he would become a great superhero like Superman. Well, we often treat that prayer and prayer itself that way. We just say this magic phrase, this magic statement, and suddenly everything's going to be all right. And that's not how this prayer was intended to be used or, or even understood. 
What Jesus wanted to teach us in this prayer is not that we should repeat this prayer. Ironically, in the passages just above where we're going to look this morning, he says that we should not be like the heathen, vainly repeating things over and over and over again. But he's going to give us, and he gave his disciples, an anatomy of a a typical standard prayer. A couple of times they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And on the Sermon of the Mount, we are going to look at this morning what we've called the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you want to see what the Lord's Prayer really is in your devotional, go to John chapter 17. The Gospel of John chapter 17, that is actually the Lord's Prayer because it is the prayer of Jesus before He is to be crucified, speaking to the the Heavenly Father about the things on His heart. And by the way, you're mentioned in that prayer if you know Christ as your Savior. Saying, where will you go home and find out? So we're going to look at this prayer this morning, what we call the Lord's Prayer. You could call it a pattern for prayer. You could call it a model prayer. And we're going to see what an an average prayer, when Jesus said, here's how you should pray. Some things you should consider, some things you should think about. So let's look at this in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse uh, 9. He says, in this manner, therefore pray. Now again, he's not saying repeat these words. He's not saying use this exact vocabulary, repeat these words. Again, in the previous passages, he says, don't be like the nations. Don't be like the religious. Don't be like the heathen who just prattle off remembered and and, and repetitive praises. But he's going to give us six sort of viewpoints, vantage points in prayer. Six things that should occupy our mind and heart as we pray. Now, there are six petitions in this prayer. Three toward God and three concerning our lives as we live them. But let's look at it. And first of all, as we talk about prayer, he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. He says, first of all, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy or, or, div- or, or respected be your name. Set apart. And he talks about prayer should include, first of all, Veneration. Veneration. What is veneration? Veneration literally means reverence or respect. When we go to God, we need to realize that, yes, we are going to God. You know, more often than not, people said, hey, God, or we talk about talking to the man upstairs, or we just say, Lord, I hope you're watching. I hope you're listening. Hey, God, we talk to God as though we're talking to our best buddy. And we need to realize that we are talking to the creator and sustainer of everything. God who deserves our reverence and respect. He is our heavenly Father. He deserves to be treated and addressed properly. You know, if you were to go to a leader in this world, or if you were to go to even the head of your company or business where you work, chances are you wouldn't say, what do you say, bud? Hey, pal. What's going on, dude? You wouldn't do that. Or, hey, lady, or what's happening? No, no. You hopefully would treat certain people with respect, and you yourself would want to be treated with respect. You yourself would want to be treated with respect when someone is dealing with you. And so we should go to God first understanding veneration, our heavenly Father, as our Heavenly Father, He is above us, beyond us, but as our Father, He is near at hand and providing for us. He is our Heavenly Father. 
Hallowed be your name. The word there literally means holy, set apart. Special and unique. We go to Him with an understanding that He is God and with everything that entails. So we need to go to Him with respect. We need to go to Him with reverence and veneration as one would go before a king or a queen. We go before God seeking that. So that is the first thing. We need to venerate God. We need to treat Him with respect. And let's be honest again, we want to be treated with respect in our lives. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be Your name. Secondly, we want to go to God with an idea of submission. Submission. More often than not, we go to God like somebody would go to a bellhop at a hotel. We ring our prayer bell. We clap our hands. And we want God to jump at our requests and to run to our needs and to be there when we want Him. And we get mad at God when God in our vernacular doesn't show up. I've heard that phrase a lot lately. Haven't you? Oh, God, He showed up today. Or we say, well, we're going to pray that God would show up. Understand this, and we looked at this back in our message on God 101. God doesn't show up. God is everywhere present. God is everywhere present. He's everywhere you are. The key is not seeking and asking for God to show up. We ought to show up. Amen? God is waiting for us to stand up, to get up, to show up. And when we go to Him in prayer, instead of saying, God, you better listen to me because I've got these requests and you better make them happen. No, 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 no. We go to God and we begin by veneration and then we submit to Him. We submit to Him. Look what it says here. It says in verse 10, Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to submit as we pray. We need to recognize that He must reign in our lives. It's not when we come to God and say, God, here's what I want. Here's what I need. Let's get with it. Prayer should involve us coming to God and falling on our face and say, God, my life is yours. Even Jesus in the garden, as He was getting ready to be betrayed, to be crucified the next day. You remember, He said, Father talking about the crucifixion, let this cup pass from me. But then he closed that prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. When was the last time you and I prayed seeking God's help, seeking God's grace, seeking God's provision? And at the end of that prayer saying, you know what, Lord? You do whatever you think is right. If you grant me this, fine, but if you don't, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's scary. Because you know what? It might not be God's will to grant what you've asked for. It might not be God's will to give you or take away from you the things that you've laid before Him. Instead, we need to go to God and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done because you reign in our lives. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are subjects in God's kingdom. He is our king. Not only should he reign in our lives, but prayer should remind us about his rule in our hearts. 
Ultimately, our prayers should be aligned with His will. Ultimately, our prayers should be aligned with His desires, His schedule, His provision in our lives. But more often than not, we've got it all sketched out. We've got it all marked out. This is what I want to do, Lord. This is how I want it done, and this is when I want you to do it. And when we do that, we forget who's in charge. Because you know what? God may not want that for us. He may not want us to go in that direction. He may not want us to have that thing. He may not want to say yes to that need. But I know this. He loves me. How do I know that? He died on the cross for me. Same for you. I know because He loves me, He wants the best for me. Now the best for me, according to God, is not always what the best for me is according to Mike. Just like a parent with a child. I knew when my kids were growing up what was best for them better than they did because I was a parent. God is our heavenly father. I know that God loves me and God wants the best for me. Therefore, I lay myself in his hand and let him rule in my heart. Because God may want something completely different. God may want what I've asked for. God may not. But the key is that I must pray with a heart of submission. I must venerate him. I must show him due respect and reverence. He's not just a big man upstairs. He's just not the guy in heaven. He is God. And he deserves my respect, my reverence. And I need to understand that as I pray, it is his reign in my life. His reign in my life. He is my Lord. He is my King. The very fact that I can go to Him owes nothing to me. It's all about Him providing me access through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. And so the very fact that I can go to Him and pray to begin with is an amazing gift. And I should be grateful and thankful for nothing else if that, just to go to Him. But he also must rule in our hearts. We must recognize his kingdom and that he is our king. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we should pray with veneration and submission. Not only that, but now we look at one of the, uh, one of the things for us. He says in verse 12, 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, yes, we do ask God for things. I mean, after all, He is the creator and sustainer of everything. And you and I are His children if we do know Him. And He does love us and wants to provide. And so we should seek God's provision. Nothing wrong with asking God for things that we need. And even sometimes things that we want. But I want you to notice the wording of this when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. In provision, we pray that God, first of all, will meet our need today. Now, I'm not talking about a scheduling. I'm talking about today's needs. You know, more often than not, we get so caught up in what's coming whether we're anticipating something good or fearing something bad, or we get caught up in something that happened in the past, whether good or bad. And we say, Lord, I pray that I can get that raise next year. Lord, I pray that you'll help this to happen. I pray, and we start branching out. But you know what? All we have is right now. 
I mean, let's be honest. All we have time-wise is right now. Yesterday is gone. This morning is gone. It came and went. All the good stuff, all the bad stuff is now in our memory. It's now in our rearview mirror. And tomorrow hasn't arrived yet. As a matter of fact, this afternoon hasn't arrived yet. God forbid something could happen and we would not have an afternoon. God forbid something could happen and we could not have a tomorrow. But we pray, Lord, i got to face that woman at work tomorrow. Lord, I need that salary raise next month. Lord, I need this. How do you know you're even going to be on this planet then? That's a hope. And we need to trust our future to God. We need to ask God to take our past and forgive us and teach us from it. But in practical terms, all we have is right now. That's it. So he says, give us this day our daily bread. Things that we need today. Take care of me today. Lord, help me with today's needs. Jesus even said that. He said, don't worry back in Matthew 5. He said and earlier in Matthew 6, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of its own problems. Focus on today, Matthew 6, 24 through uh, 27. Let, let, let tomorrow take care of its own problems. Give us today what I need, Lord. Give us today what we have to have. Because that's all we have. I can't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow isn't here. Tomorrow may or may not come. So he says, give us this day our daily bread. He's not saying, give it to me now, today. No, no, he's not a scheduling idea. It's a provision idea. Give, what I need, give me what I need today to get through today. Give me what I need to get through this next hour. And then another thing he says, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, it's not what we need today, but it's what we need today. Lord, give me that raise so I can buy that bigger house next year. Lord, bring that person into my life. Lord, heal me. No, we need today's provision. What do we need today? It's interesting, again, later in this chapter, Jesus talks about the fact that if we, if we follow God and place our heart's desire in Him, He will give us everything we need. He will give us everything we need. doesn't say He'll give us everything we want. He says he will give us everything we need. Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread in the Psalms. Not only that, but he'll give us enough. We live in a consumer culture today, Lord. We are told in our world in America in 2021 that enough is never enough. That we always need to have more. A house isn't enough. We need a bigger house. A sound, good-running car is not enough. We need a, a bigger car, a newer car, a flashier car. Enough is never enough. And so I ask you as you think about praying, is enough enough? Can you be contented with what you have? How do I define contentment? Contentment is easy to find. It's simply this. If God froze you right now in your current circumstances, right now, Think about this. If God froze you right now in your current circumstances, can you be satisfied with that? Can you be satisfied with that? That's contentment. So he's saying, give us this day, right now, what we need today. Just worry about today. Place tomorrow in God's hands. 
Place the past in God's forgiving hands and teaching hands. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow may or may not even get here. Give me today what I need right now. Not only that, but give me what I need right now. What do I need right now? Take care of me today. I'll tell you what, doing this and getting this understanding in our minds, it will teach us dependence upon God like you've never known. It will teach us, and I'll be honest with you, I get away from this. I start worrying about next week's bills or next year's problems or this or that, and I, I get twisted up just like you do. We all do. We're human. We have a, a temporal perspective. God wants us, though, to have an eternal perspective. And an eternal perspective doesn't have a day, yesterday, tomorrow understanding. It has a right now. So give us this day, today, what we need today in that provision. Let tomorrow, let God handle tomorrow. Pray tomorrow for tomorrow's needs. So he talks about veneration. He talks about submission. Submit yourself to God's care and God's reign and rule in your heart and life. He goes on to talk about remission. Here's another petition that's human focused. Give us this day our daily bread. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so part of prayer is seeking God's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So yes, it's proper to go and seek God's forgiveness for the sin in our life, for the mistakes we've made, for the wrong turns, for the mishaps that go on. We need to go to Him and confess. And that word, as we said before, confess means to, to agree with. Yes, God, that's a sin. And yes, God, I did it. We need to confess our sin and seek forgiveness from Him. And then we will experience forgiveness coming down from heaven. That's comforting, isn't it? But you notice the other part of the verse we very seldom remember, as we forgive our debtors. See, forgiveness, we like that part about forgiveness coming down from heaven, but you know what? What about forgiveness going out from us? It amazes me how much we expect from God. We want, we want God's grace. We want God's mercy. We want God's forgiveness. Yet we refuse to share that with other people in our lives. We go to God in prayer. We say, oh, Lord, forgive me. I messed up today. I made a mistake. I messed up. All the while, we're holding a grudge against that person who did us wrong. All the while, we got somebody that we're mad at and we refuse to forgive. We refuse to show grace. We refuse to show mercy. And we expect God to treat us a certain way that we will not treat someone else. Let me remind you, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, yes, our sin and grudge holding and hate, our sin stands as a barrier to the prayers that we pray. Our sin stands as a barrier oftentimes as we seek fellowship with God in our relationship with Him. Our sin, and, and yes, holding a grudge, hatefulness, meanness, these are sins. They can act as a barrier between us and God. And so as we seek God's remission for our sins, the forgiveness of our sin, shouldn't we also be seeking to forgive others who have wronged us and sinned against us? 
Shouldn't we set that aside if we expect God to do as much for us? I'm not saying we excuse what has been done to us. I'm not saying, because listen, God doesn't do that. You know, we can go do something horribly sinful and go to God and seek forgiveness. And if we're genuine in God, will forgive us. But that doesn't mean the consequences of that sin go away. Think of a person who goes out and gets drunk and drives his or her car on the highway and gets in an accident and harms another family. Can that person who got drunk and did that, can they go to God and get forgiveness? Of course. But that family they harmed is still harmed. The trial and difficulty is still there. King David committed adultery and murder against God. And then finally he owned it. He, he confessed it. It was sin. He knew he was wrong. He sought God's forgiveness. He received it. But his family and his nation still, nation still suffered because of the choices he had made. But nonetheless, you and I, if we expect to go to God and just, hey, Lord, I've done this. I've messed up. God is wondering, well, what about what she did to you? What about what you did to him? What, what, about, what about all of that? So in our prayers, yes, we should seek forgiveness we should look forgiveness coming down, but we should also get involved in forgiveness going out. We should seek forgiveness from our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we should be involved in venerating God. We need to go to God with all humility and reverence. That's why oftentimes we go to God in prayer, bowed and kneeled before Him. And if physically we can't do that, we still in our spirit kneel before Him for He is God. And we go to him in submission. Lord, I'm bringing my, my life to you. I'm bringing my heart to you. Lord, I don't want to bend your will to mine. I want to bend mine to yours. We seek God's provision. Not to make our life an endless series of comfort and provision, but Lord, give me what I need today. Give me what I need today to get through today. And Lord, give me what I need today. Lord, I just need enough. Lord, just give me enough. And of course, remission, we need to seek God to forgive us. But we also ought to have the attitude of forgiveness going out. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here's the third petition that is human focused. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is a prayer for protection. This is a prayer where we seek God to protect us. The phrase, do not lead us into temptation. You say, well, how would God lead us into temptation? I, I thought temptation was something the devil did. I didn't know God would lead us into temptation. Why should we ask him not to do that? Well, it's not that God would lead us into temptation in a literal sense. It's speaking as God directs us in life. We pray that God keep me away from things that you know would tempt me. It's like when we were little and our parents would take us to the grocery store. I remember my mom going to the base commissary at MacDill Air Force Base. Okay, that's where we did all of our grocery shopping. Matter of fact, the MacDill Air Force Base is where we went to the doctor. We went to the library. The toy store was on MacDill Air Force Base. The grocery store, the beach that we went to. I thought Tampa, Florida was MacDill Air Force Base. 
I saw a movie in school once when I was about first or second grade. It was all about Florida. It was beautiful and oranges and palm trees. I came home and said, Mom, can we move to Florida? She said, boy, you live in the middle of Florida. I said, it didn't look like it did in that movie. It was all gray and olive drab and, and everything was the same and looked the same and, and everything was, you know, and it, you know, I thought, Lord. But we would go to the commissary and she would purposely not go down the candy aisle when I was with her. <laughs> because she knew that Mike liked candy, okay? And I would drive her nuts about it. I remember one time, though, enjoying going to the grocery store with my dad. Because not only did my dad take me down the candy aisle, but my dad looked as my mother was being distracted. He snatched a bag of candy and stuffed it under the bread and winked at me, and we went on. My dad was leading me into temptation. <laughs> but my mother did not. We need to ask God to protect us from those things that would seek to draw us away from him. Now understand this about temptation. It starts from the inside. It starts from your heart and mind. From the attitudes and appetites that we have. We all have healthy appetites. We need to eat. We need to, uh, we need to drink to keep ourselves hydrated. We need to rest. Even the sexual appetite, we need to procreate the species. Temptation comes is when the devil or the demonic host puts something in our path to enliven these things in order for us to do something that is inappropriate. Because that's what a lust is, by the way. A lust is an inappropriate affection toward just about all of these appetites. And so we need to pray that God would protect us from the candy aisle of life, as it were. And it could be different for our, all of us, for each of us. There are addictions to substances. There's addiction to pornography. There's addiction to uh, material things, all kinds of addictions. We need, to keep, we need to ask God to keep us from those things. We need his direction. We need his direction to go and do the right things. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or deliver us from the evil one is the better translation. And that is, again, deliverance. Because we're human and we live in a fallen and broken world, there are going to be times because of our own stupid choices or the misguided, misjudged choices of someone else around us, we will find ourselves in a mess. We need to seek God to forgive us and to deliver us out of that. But we need to understand that deliverance out of that might be a difficult proposition. It might mean radical changes that God needs to make in our lives. This is why prayer is transformative. Prayer will lead us to go different places in life than we want to. Prayer leads us to do different things in life that naturally we would want to. But it is all for our protection. So we need direction from God. Just as Jabez, remember the prayer we looked at last time. Jabez had God directing him, guide me with your hand. We need God to guide us with his hand, to make good choices. And let me, let me just make something very clear. Life is nothing more than a series of choices. What you are right now is because this is a result of your choices, whether good or bad. Not only that, but the result of how you responded and reacted to the choices of others, good or bad. 
I'll never forget one time I was driving down Sharon Amity in Charlotte. Susan and I were going somewhere, and I'm driving along, and this guy cuts me off. I nearly hit him. Well, I was mad. And so I got around him, and I pulled up to the, uh, to the traffic light there, Sharon Amity, I don't know what road it was, and I laid on my horn, and I gave him an ugly look. I can't tell you I was in spiritual mode at the moment. And I, lay, and I wanted to know, I did not appreciate you pulling out. So we're sitting there at the red light, and the guy gets out of his truck. He comes around to my car. Now, I'm a relatively large individual. He was larger. He was in good shape, and he looked like he would kill me. And I didn't have my ninja son born yet. So I smiled and waved and drove on when the light turned green. What happened nearly was a bad choice on my, I didn't react, I reacted rather than responded. My choice was to act like an idiot honking my horn and looking ugly at him. And his choice was gonna come and beat my brains in. So I tried to make a good choice after that and cowardly and depart and leave and get out of there. You can cut off anybody you want to, buddy. So you see right there, a series of choices, not only choices that we made, but choices that we respond to react to. You are a product of your choices right now. If you are granted a tomorrow, a next week, or a next year, you are going to be a product of the choices that you make today. And so we need God's protection. We need His direction to get us through life, and we need His deliverance when sometimes we stumble, and we will, because of our choices or the choices of others. So prayer, as we pray, it should include veneration, respect and reverence for God. And in that, we need to make sure that we're submissive to Him. As we go to God, we seek His face. We seek His will. God, here's what I need. Here's what I want. But at the end of the day, Lord, You do what is best for me. You do what is best for me. Provision, not God, I need a raise for next year. Not God, I need more for next week. But God, give me today what I need and give me what I need today. Forgive me, Lord, as I forgive others and lead me in the right path and, and help me to follow. Push me, Lord, if you have to. And if I do mess up, Lord, deliver me from the evil one who would seek to devour me. And then finally, a prayer should end with glorification. Glorification. He says, in the end of verse 12, he says, or verse 13, he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That glorification gets us finished with prayer. Instead of walking away from prayer saying, God, you better take care of these things. God, you better fill my list. You better get me what I want, do what I want. No, we close out our prayers glorifying God. It goes back to beginning our prayers in veneration. We get our head and our heart in the right place. And in doing so, we acknowledge God's sovereignty. God runs it all, we don't. God oversees it all. Yours is the kingdom, God. I am not the king, I am not the queen. See, that's the biggest problem that we have in this world today. You and I seek to be the kings and queens of our little fiefdoms. We have our little center of our universe and we, we want it to run the way we want it to run. 
We want people to jump and, and, and go when we snap our fingers. We want our circumstances to, to do what we want them to do. We want a perfect body. We want a perfect bank account. We want the biggest house, the nicest car, the sharpest kids. We want to be able to put pictures on Facebook and Instagram that make people so envious they cry. We want to be the kings and queens of our little kingdom. Because of sin, we've made ourselves the center of our universe. And this ending prayer this way, saying, God, this is your kingdom. I simply serve within it. I'm a prince and princess through Jesus Christ at your discretion. This is not my realm, it's yours. And so we acknowledge through that his sovereignty. He says, for yours is the kingdom and the power. We acknowledge his strength. Because at the end of the day, we can do nothing of ourselves for ourselves that benefit ourselves. At the end of the day, we must rely on His power and His strength. It says in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, For of Him and from Him and to Him are all things. It is all about Him. This world belongs to Him. My life belongs to Him. And it's through His power that I will either accomplish something, avoid something, be healed from something, or get through something difficult. And so we acknowledge His sovereignty. We acknowledge His strength. Remember Paul prayed three times that God would heal his physical affliction. And each time, God said no. And the reason why he said, God, Paul... He said, my grace should be enough for you. My unmerited love should be all the strength you need. And then finally, we acknowledge the splendor that is our relationship with God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And the glory, God deserves the glory. He is God at the end of the day. He is the creator and as we glorify Him in our lives, in our walk, in our choices, we point others to Him. That's the whole earthly purpose from an earthly perspective of glorifying God. Through our prayer life, as we seek God's will for our life, and as we seek God to transform our lives, it is so that we might bring honor and glory to Him, first because He deserves it, but secondly, so that others can see us pointing to Him and find Him. So yes, we revel in the splendor that is God. When was the last time, for instance, you and I prayed to thank God just for who He is? Whether He gives us anything, whether He does anything for us, whether He provides anything. There was a little person, uh, she was only 5'11", Evie Tornquist. Anybody remember Evie Tornquist? I'm giving you my age right now. This was back when contemporary Christian music wasn't even contemporary yet. And Evie Tornquist, little, little small blonde lady, Swedish lady, sang beautiful songs. This is at the birth of contemporary Christian music, and she was, she was a big, big person in that. And she, said, she had a song that had this line. She said, if heaven were never given to me, promised to me, rather, if heaven were never promised to me, she said, if I never got anything from the Lord, I'm paraphrasing it because I can't remember it right off the top of my head. 
She says, if God never gave her heaven, promised her heaven, gave her anything, the last line of that, of that stanza said, but it's been good just having the Lord in my life. Reveling in the splendor that is God. Our churches would be full to overflowing if if God's people, I'm not even talking about the world, I'm talking about people who claim to know Christ, who claim to be Christ followers, who claim to be Christians. If they reveled in the splendor that is God, they would be lined up outside these doors to spend time corporately worshiping Him. So we give God glorification in our prayers. Some way, we don't have to use words like these. When we venerate Him, when we submit to Him, when we seek His remission of our sins, provision, protection, glorification. We don't necessarily have to use the words Jesus used. He didn't want us to, but he wanted us to include these things as we prayed because it gives God supremacy. It gives God his place and gives us our place. We rely upon him for our provision rather than our own strength. We rely upon him for the forgiveness of our sins. We rely on him to protect us and get us through life. That is a transformation from what the society would tell us to rely on ourselves, to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, or I am woman, hear me roar, or I'm a self-made man. No. That might be the American way, but that is not the biblical way. The biblical way is to go before God and say, I am nothing without you. By the way, a couple, one more thing to point out about this prayer entirely. It was meant to be done corporately. We are to pray yes this way on our own individual, but it's also meant to be corp corporate because it uses many plural pronouns, our Father who art in heaven. He goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread, not give me this day my daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. God means for his people to gather together in worship. How dare you miss a worship service unless you are providentially hindered? We need to go to God and worship and, and enjoy the splendor of just lifting him up. Just lifting him up. He closes out this section of verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you give someone, uh, forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men in their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive yours. In other words, our attitude corporately matters. So as we gather to worship, as we go to God in prayer, whether it's corporately or individually, we need to take time to set some things aside. So God is giving us through Christ what he expects our prayers to include. Maybe not the exact words, but the, the specific attitudes of veneration, submission, remission, provision, protection, and glorification. Paul later on, probably thinking about what he heard Christ had taught, said this as we finish this morning in Philippians. Remember we talked, went through Philippians back a year or so ago. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, he says this about prayer. He says, be anxious for nothing. We send around worried and frustrated and fretting. We all do. I'm guilty of that. And why? Because give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need today. Give us what we need today. Therefore, why worry? 
He said, why are you worried about tomorrow? Let tomorrow take care of itself. You deal with today. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is seeking God's provision. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And notice what he says, Paul says here in Philippians 4, 7. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you and transparent with you. This is the part I struggle with because I still want to hang on to tomorrow's problems. I still want to fret about next week's needs. I still want to fume about past indiscrepancies and indiscretions. And I need to just stop and pray and pray in this manner and let God transform me so that I can walk through this world, even a world that is a swirl with COVID, terrorism, political perversion, social and cultural evil, I can find peace in the midst of the storm. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Protect us. Help us. This is why we must pray, folks. This is why we need to seek God's face every day. We need to seek God's face daily, if not hourly, sometimes minute by minute. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. And we need to give God his honor and glory. We need to seek him and let God transform us through our yieldedness in prayer. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.